Hey, one more thing before you go. Can you imagine experiencing a life-changing incident that leaves you with a daily challenge of overcoming adversity while still pursuing your passion? This is the story of our guest, Aaron Scott, also known as the audio chick. Aaron's life took an unexpected turn when she found herself hospitalized and in a coma, waking up to a neurological disorder. Despite these unimaginable circumstances, she refused to let adversity define her, and we're going to talk more about that. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and in this episode, we sit down with Aaron Scott, the audio chick, to hear her extraordinary story of resilience, growth, and the power of music. Hey, Aaron's journey doesn't stop where I just spoke. Despite the challenges she faced during her recovery, she channeled her passion for music into a new endeavor. She's publishing and producing the works of entrepreneurs in small town Mississippi and highlighting the talents of blues artists in the Delta. Her own podcast called Blues Divas became a platform to share the stories and music of these remarkable individuals. This is an extraordinary story of resilience, growth, and the power of music. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Hi, Erin. Hello. First thing I'd like to say, because it's a little embarrassing, is my background is actually a few of my friends. Well, this is my uh, nieces. She couldn't stop creating a painting. But I have a few other paintings that I've had throughout the years. I've tried to create different things. But yes, I've had many friends that are painters because of my theater background, create paintings for me and give me things. So if you're looking at me and seeing why does she have weird things behind her? Yes, this is a background. Those, they, I, would, I wouldn't say they're weird. I'd say they're creative. She, yes, yeah, definitely, crea- definitely. Creativity is sparked, is sparked, and you should always allow the creativity to show itself like that. Yes. So yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It looks very nice. Yeah. I'm happy that we can showcase some of her work. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Um, so, yeah. It's, so. it's been a long journey. Yes, I've had some that have come from England, some from California, some from Savannah, Georgia, all over the place. Oh, and that's cool. where my journey has been because I've had 42 different postal codes. I, because of working in summer theater, I've lived in, uh, let's see, Texas, Chicago, Minnesota, LA. I've lived in Florida. I've lived in the Appalachians in Carolina. I've lived in, well, Texas again, and Savannah, and yeah. Pretty much all over, and then of course Mississippi. Yeah. Well, let, let's if if we can, let's start back at the beginning. I always like to start at people's yeah. beginnings. Yeah. Where, where did you actually grow up? Oh, I'm third generation Texan, and very proud of it. Third generation Texan. So yes, you um, <clears throat> what was your family like? Family, my mother. I'd say my dad was a born-again Texan. He left Kansas State and then came to Dallas right after college. So, yes, that's how he's ended up working at Allstate and then meeting my mother, and that's how they met and married. Uh, My mother comes from a family of eight children. So 
then I know, and people are like, in this day and age, it's weird. People are surprised. I know my third and fourth generation, fourth cousin. So, yes. And sometimes I think, well, he's my second cousin. And then I thought about it. No, actually, he's my third cousin. And my family is so distinct, if you are uh, the na last name, you the men look so much alike people think they are very you know they are related my one cousin was playing ball against my third cousin and they definitely knew they were connected they thought they were more alike than that you know genetic wise it's very interesting how that works and actually there's a story of i think my one uncle walking into a receptionist and saying i know you know, you're that last name. I know who you are because of, you know, who you look. So it's been very interesting. And our family, my mom's side of the family, they grew up in either St. Louis uh, within the Dallas area or uh, New Iberia in Los Angeles, or excuse me, Louisiana. Louisiana. So you, I mean, most, you're from the South. Definitely Very from much. the south. You know, it's interesting. I've got it. My my grandfather is, uh, on my mother's side is from uh, Mississippi, and then my mm -hmm. grandmother is from West Virginia. And mm -hmm. you know, family back then they had. I mean, I had I had nine aunts and uncles. Um, <clears throat> I know that you mentioned earlier about getting your degrees. We were talking about that before we started. And you, where did you go to university? My first university was at Illinois State. Bragging rights are, I have known since I was 16, the quote, beard of uh, Ted Lasso, who created Ted Lasso. So we're very proud, everyone that I've known. And yes, we're very proud of Brendan creating Ted Lasso. So that's another idea for a podcast and I'm pitching to him. Uh, but yes, I went to Illinois State and a lot of, you know, uh, who else? Uh, I'm trying, John Malkovich and a lot of other people. Uh, Gary Sinise went to Illinois State and were trained by a very talented actress that went to, were taught and trained through Illinois State. So yes, I went to there, started there, did not finish there, I ended up. Uh, transferring through what's called a domestic exchange instead of international. I was able to go, which people didn't know about, and somehow through our dormitory, uh, this girl showed up and she said, hey, you know, there's this thing called domestic exchange. I'm working for that department. And you can go for a year and pay either your in-state tuition for that school for a year or their in-state tuition. So it's not that expensive. And I had a bad experience, not a very happy experience working on a project, working on a show. And I was like, how do I get out of this school without losing credits and going somewhere else? So I tried to go and look, it was, I was a sound design experience and I said, Mm, I don't want to give up on sound design. And I looked up on, and there were two 
catalogs of theaters that theater programs that had sound and it was either new mexico or university of minnesota and i ended up in minnesota that being said when we my dad took me from dallas to chicago the first thing i said was as soon as i turn 18 i'm going back to texas and then I was like, how the heck did I end up further north in Illinois than Illinois in University of Minnesota? And I finished up my uh, degree in Minnesota. So the you, interesting you went thing, from the heat of Texas up to the cold of Minnesota. The That's interesting like a- thing is, though, I had to cross the Mississippi River every day to get to class. So I have a connection with the Mississippi River besides the blues. There is some sort of connection that brings me back and forth with the delt with the blues and the river. It's amazing. That you know it I think that um that I love the fact that we as human beings have connections like that because it allows us to appreciate them just a little bit more deeply, especially from, I mean, your perspective of loving the the blues music aspect of life. And then it takes you right back down to where, to where it originated. Um, So yeah, that's a brilliant every day that you crossed over that the Mississippi of Minnesota, that that's a nice connection. I like that. I know that you said that um, you worked uh, in, uh, you were one of the first people to go from digital sound or excuse me from analog to digital sound correct that was one of my first classes at university of minnesota was yes going from digital to still had to cut tape in the class but then we also had digital parts in the class Mm -hmm. what drew you to the audio aspect of sound my mom said never quit on anything and since I had a bad experience at Illinois State doing a sound production, and I actually had to go to the art department who knew or they had the equipment to cut or create a CD, that's how you know we were at the time. I just, I don't know, uh, sound just, I, the professor was really good and sound started to be my thing. I just didn't want to quit up on it. I really wanted to be a set designer and still kept pushing towards set design. There were some negative uh, aspects and things that happened in set design and I still did props and painting and all that type of thing. Somehow sound just kept calling toward me and I ended up getting working toward a master's when I went to California to do sound design. Yeah, I really can't answer that question per se. It just you know, I mean, you know, obviously uh, your your uh, approach to music in anyway, the fact that you have a love for music. I have a friend of mine that that we've been friends for man, we've been friends for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get my age away when I say this. We've been friends for probably 40 years. He actually, he's an audio tech and that's all he does. He's got a sound, he does sound now, he cuts records. I mean, literal records. He went back to doing records for people. And he 
was working for RCA. He cut some records for uh, Elvis Presley. Okay. Actually, way back when. He, he's actually, I told him, when you die, I get this. He's got one of the microphones from the 68 comeback special. You know, he was so involved in that industry. Absolutely loves what he's doing. And he went from, from going analog, from going tape to vinyl, you know, doing all of that, and then transitioning to digital, and eventually went back to doing from digital went back to vinyl, because he, he says, I just like working with this better. I like working with tape and vinyl better than I work like working mm -hmm. with digital. So do you do you find that you miss that aspect of it? Or I mean, today, digital, we would, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for digital, actually. There's that visual aspect to it that I'm like, well, I want to make the cut of someone like me just now saying, uh, trying to get those filler words out to making someone sound a little bit more precise in what they're saying in the interview. And it's especially with a lot of these women or any interview, you want to make it tighter or you want to cut part of what the, the whole interview is. There's a part of it that in these pauses, like like I just did, like I'm trying to show you, you take this pause to make that thought come through. So cutting tape is the same type thing. With digital, it's a little bit easier to see that visual versus, you know, you got that round, you know, in the tape. You got this whole thing that you gotta you know, lay down and cut, cut, and make it all come through. So there is that part of that that I don't know if I would want to go back to that per se, but there is something to the audio part of it that what you're hearing and things like that. Then yeah, you couldn't you couldn't do any other way. Asking me about sound wise though, there is kind of a connection. I moved to Illinois in fifth grade and fourth grade was when they started teaching sound uh, audio or uh, instruments and i didn't want to i was already being bullied about my accent i didn't want to do that you know go back backtrack to that so my brother became a professional musician i ended up i was already doing ballet and tap and jazz and kept wanting to do that so there's that's my sound connection to stuff the deal was was with youtube with B.B. King coming out, that was my connection. And that's in, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and all that. I think on other podcasts, people have heard that my biography is that, yes, our high school, we won jazz competition state for, I think, four years, probably around my time that I was in high school. Our garage bands, we weren't doing Nirvana and all those things that was coming out out of Seattle. We were doing blues and so yeah it was all about the blues and playing the blues and things like that that was our thing and we really wanted to do the riffs we wanted to do it all and so our going to cafes that we were allowed to instead of well I'll just say Libertyville we'd go to Highland Park and things like that and Gurney we'd end up taking off time and hearing the blues that way and there was a really good guy that actually we were sad about his dad took him to another school because he wanted his daughter to play uh, ball just you know to go to college the brother 
was who was a really good musician. We didn't get to you know hear him play as much. That being said, it was kind of a fun time since I was doing tech theater and doing that. He had the first kind of uh, radio or whatever uh, connection that he put on his guitar that wasn't connected to a, uh, a bass or excuse me, a um, amplifier by a, a, a I don't know, a string per se. I can't think of the word. Yeah. And so he was, the amplifier was on stage and he was all in the hallway and we were just having fun playing with that. We just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice to, it's nice to rip and to play and to, yeah. I, I, I like blues. I like jazz. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a lover of all aspects of, music believe it or not i tried to group my kids as they were growing up my wife and i both tried to give them a diverse um selection of music to listen to so they could kind of make their own decision to see what they were drawn to um you know old time rock and roll elvis presley all the old you know the the old the good ones um then you know all the way through everything country country western um let's say jazz um uh, uh, musical theater, y- you know, you name it, classic rock and roll, present rock and roll, rap. We allowed them to understand music from all those mm-hmm. different perspectives, so they they kind of knew that life life was full of magic in in many many ways, especially with music. Where we were living, we were close to where Stevie Ray Vaughan died, and that was a big deal. Yeah, that would be yeah, that definitely mm-hmm. would be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that. Uh, if I can backtrack just a second, in my notes, sure. I I had uh, saw where you're, you know, while studying theater and post production audio, you worked on a variety of productions, including um, a film, and I, and I may be saying this wrong. Is it Juana Man? Probably not. <laughs> Juana Man Which and, one? The, and the short. <laughs> I did work on a short. That was my graduate thesis. Yes. And the pickle jar? The pickle jar. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Friedman. Mm -hmm. He is a very talented person. Yes. In Los Angeles. And he did, I think, the uh, uh, credits for Lemony Snickets as well. So yeah, he's done very well for himself. Very well himself. But our thesis, the pickle jar, he did as well, and that ended up going and was played in um, uh, Regal Theaters in Los Angeles as a short before uh, Amelie. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's very mm-hmm. cool. I uh, I have a passion for film and television as well as music. Um, that's the reason I loved my when I got my master's, it was digital media performance and, and art. And, and, I, you know, it was just a, a way to connect a little bit more. I shot a documentary film. So I know that you also worked a little bit with documentary film, correct? Yeah. My thesis for my master's was a documentary film. And it actually was called one more thing before you go. I did it back in 2011. And we utilized the creative arts, music, drama, painting, dance, in in healing and in the effects of being able to get closure and to work through things with uh, with the creative arts 
And uh, so we used a little bit of everything. We, we had one quarter of it was about dance, one quarter of it was about music, one quarter of it was about film, um, excuse me, uh, art, you know, and it, it uh, uh, and then one quarter of it was drama. And it allowed uh, us to showcase the fact that creative arts can help people heal through things. And has that helped you? I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, you. You you had uh, was it a vision of death? A vision of death. Well, when you have a rare bacterial infection, and your mother finds you, yes pretty much unconscious and yes, I was taken to the hospital and they didn't know what was going on. And yeah, I had organ failure. Yeah. I saw death. Yeah. I saw death. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. about a year later, you, you were, uh, you were hit by a, a <laughs> semi. I was hit by an 18 wheeler. Uh, I kind of laugh about this because the first thing was and it is like every movie that they show it's the light comes by and this and that uh when i was hit the first thought was i've done all this work for nothing but yeah we were dragged a quarter of a mile pretty much and over three lanes of traffic so yeah wow yeah, and uh, I think he wanted to be. Yeah, it probably would have been a hit and run if he could have made it happen. Yeah, yeah, not cool, not very, not cool, not cool. Do you think that yeah. your passion for music and your love of music has helped you to kind of overcome your obstacles in regard to your recoveries on both of those instances? I don't know what has. I think the biggest thing that has happened lately was first of all you lose almost all your friends i had just moved to austin and i'd been in austin probably two years and because of theater you have friends all over the world almost and so i had people through the power of prayer probably and even my brother being in a playing professionally in a Lutheran band I had people praying for me all over the world I think that type of energy probably got me through to where I am and through got me out of the hospital then you know I had to fight like a warrior to get where I was you look on Facebook and even the people you were close to and things like that, people don't really know how to respond to you. I, because basically I had encephalitis due to all this and have epilepsy now because of that. And that's even hard for me to deal with and embrace still to this day and so yeah it's been it's been a hard journey in dealing with all that within the last year i have met a gentleman randomly who has brought me into uh you just caught me that's why we booked booked this the time we did 
what happened was with these podcasts, since I have two podcasts, if you go to my website, uh, was when and we're backtracking when I was working at Marketplace in Los Angeles, a friend of mine working on the morning show, he went to get his, he was a host. He went to L, oh, excuse me, Louisville and got a second master's in equine management and worked on writing about, I'll just say the ponies and worked for the Pollock Report. So COVID hit, that shut down as well. What was he doing? He did a podcast. I got my second master's going to Ole Miss and doing Southern Studies because I wanted to do more reporting and documentary and getting a journalism degree without getting a journalism degree. So they had a documentary program. Uh, I ended up having all this tape and it was a lot about, uh, well, I did repurpose gas station food. I had all this on entrepreneurs and things. So I had a lot of contacts. I used some of the tape, but I also contact a lot of people. It's not the quality that I want, but it is what it is. The second one, when I went to visit the Delta this last visit, this woman said, hey, there's a market. Nobody's doing Blues Divas. And with my passion of wanting to put voices out that aren't out there, I definitely want to do Blues Divas. So I've been talking to a lot of wonderful women that really, you know, they know they're not going to be Stevie Ray Vaughan or, you know, B.B. King or even Kingfish, who is the next, you know, B.B. King and all these other people. They're doing it because they love it. And they're songwriting because they love it. And they're just going to go and do what they want to do. I'm wanting them or I'm wanting people to hear them talk and maybe, you know, click on their YouTube and give them a few more clicks or go to their Spotify and who knows what, who knows if it's about monetization. We don't know, but at least their voice has been heard and somebody knows about them now. So do you, yeah. do you think that, that this journey that uh, you have been on in regard to that has helped you to overcome your neurological issues? that you that you have developed during you know through uh, both your instances i'm assuming contributed to that when when were you in the coma was that when you had the the infection or was that with the oh yeah with the yeah, tractor yeah. trader oh no with the, i had a rare bacterial infection called murine typhus which uh right now only happens in southern california and southern texas which just wait, it's probably going to spread real soon due to open borders and all that. Uh, before all this, and this was, uh, we're going on eight years ago, but it's been around probably 10 or 12 years ago. Los Angeles City Council, uh, City Hall, excuse me, was even removing their carpets because of marine typhus. 
because it's due to uh, fecal matter or flea bites. So they were worried about all the fleas mm-hmm. and even uh, um, homeless on there. And that's what uh, put you into the yeah. coma? That's what, yes, I had urine typhus because... Yes, infectious disease came in right away and said it's marine typhus, pump it with every, they couldn't confirm it right away, but they pumped me with every antibiotic that they could till they could. And yeah, it was it. So yes. That How was, long were you in a coma? That. I was in an induced coma for two weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm, has anybody asked you this before? And if, if there's an intrusion, please. You know, we don't have to, uh, but um, <laughs> what, do you remember anything from being in a coma? Like I said, um, uh, I had talking with, and I was glad he wasn't the gentleman that brought me into mass. Uh, he was late uh, for Tenebre, which is part of uh, Easter things. And because I go to the Basilica of St. John and Savannah, I had never heard of it before. Uh, it's that they do a whole song and they have candles and then, or, you know, no more candles and it's all darkness and one candle. And what made me think about it was, um, it kind of brought a little PTSD because it said, well, something in the voice said, well, you chose to come back. The deal is, is, um... I saw a lot of light, like you'll see in movies, and there's a Netflix series about death, which I wouldn't watch all of it, watch the first episode only about uh, people talking about um, uh, uh, death, Um, I can't remember the term that they use for it, but um, uh, yeah, I didn't go to that light and, you know, all these voices and things. I knew that I was hoping and that I did hear my voice supposedly of my grandfather saying, you got to go back because when my grandfather was dying, he actually saw his sister or it was talking to his sister two days before he died. So, um, oh, it's called near death experiences. So NDE. Um, so I kind of had these things, which my psychiatrist who doesn't believe it, did not believe in NDE. She was like, Oh, those were just all the, you know, pictures or lights of, you know, them working on you and this and that. Uh, I, I don't think, I think it was NDE. Um, after listening to Keith Richards and him with a cigarette coming out, you know, I don't think he smokes anymore. He just has that brand. But <laughs> uh, uh, he, yeah, I, yeah, it's it, there. It's interesting. Yeah, my when uh, we we took care of my my wife's father, my father-in-law, mm-hmm. he had dementia, so it was kind of a long goodbye. But towards the end, he actually got he was he got clarity, and you know he recognized his granddaughters and his daughter and me and everybody else and. You know, we we heard him talking to somebody, and um, we come walking down the hallway to see who he was talking to, and he was talking to his grandfather, and his grandmother, and his aunt, and who had passed away a long time ago, and because um, he was David was like seventy 
72, 72, 71, 72, something like that. Anyway, they had passed a long time ago. So we come around the corner and we, we could hear him talking. And we said, who are you talking to? And casually, he just said, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And then, and then laid back down and went back to sleep. It was crazy. But so I understand that. I mean, it's, I, I believe in it. I believe that, that we have others that help us on the other side from that perspective. And I think that, you know, you may have been, you were told to come back because you had more work to do. I mean, look what you're doing with the, with the blues and the divas. You know, you're spreading that word. You're giving people the opportunity to understand blues and to understand the origins and where they come from. I know that you're developing an oral history or you are developing an oral history type book in regard to, to all of this, right? Yeah, a little bit. There's a couple things going down. And it's also, I uh, volunteered when I was coming back from recovery. Somehow, it always the pieces always, everything falls into place with luck. I ended up uh, volunteering at, uh, I always say LBJ Library. So Lyndon Baines Johnson, President Library. And everyone else retired, wanted to work with, uh, National Archives mm. and it was hard to do and somehow I didn't go where I was supposed to go that day I went up on the sixth floor or whatever and talked to somebody who's giving a professor a uh, personal tour and I was like oh sorry and then ran into uh, a man who was could have taken a different elevator but he took the public elevator and said oh well, i forgot my glasses and he was going into the library that you can you know look at all the archives so a way to see just you know talking i'm chatty kathy hey you know, what are you researching he's like i work here and i said oh yeah yeah i do documentary this and that well, he pulled me in, so I got to do some oral history with National Archives. So it was really oh, very just, cool. Yeah, yeah very yeah. cool. So I, I mean, things always work out on that. Uh, with this, I always say I need to do the memoir, and I need to start journaling enough on that to do the journal. Uh, every time I say that, though, it's on my dark side and not on my humor days to do it. Uh, the funny side of things that have happened. Right now, the darkest things, and I've been researching real hard and can't do it, which is I'd like to do a docudrama on the fentanyl crisis, quite actually. And it has a lot of personal narratives to it. And because I know, like you, I know a lot of retired cops, Border Patrol, um, Fish and Game, and things like that that have stories. So I'd be throwing in fictional pieces of that within that to do that. But it's, you know, it'd be a, a retired Texas Ranger doing that. But that'd be a one hard to produce. Because it's yeah. like I told you before we started this, me even interviewing, cutting tape, or trying to get it tight to where it's a 20-minute interview. Uh, it's hard to produce just talking to one person, calling them up, making the time, getting it done, all sorts of things like that. So trying to get a table read of someone, it's going to be tough. 
tough, but worth it. I think that, you know, the oral history, I, I do believe that any, you know, oral history is, is a, going by the wayside. I had the, the honor of being able to help a World War II vet uh, document his life history, including joining the military when he was like, he lied to get into the military and was 16 and a half years old. And they sent him to Iwo Jima. And by the time he reached Iwo, Iwo Jima, he was 17 in real life. But he lied on his application to go to, to war. So he fought at Iwo Jima, shot down three Japanese um, planes that they kept saying, he he goes, you know, they're going, this isn't, you know, you're going to get in trouble. This number one isn't your job. Number two, we just found out you're only 17. So, you know, you can't really tell anybody you shot down three Japanese planes, but good job, you know. <laughs> Uh, so we had this opportunity to him to tell me the story and we got to document I know. it. It was great. I'm I sitting mean, on one too. My yeah. aunt's neighbor, she just celebrated an anniversary and yeah, she was in the Coast Guard, I think. But yeah, she had a big one and the Coast Guard came out and they even brought the boat out, but it was COVID. So they were all wearing masks. And thought, yeah, they'd have this little, you know, you know, you know, woman who couldn't walk, and she's all just hey, and she's mom says she's probably pickled because she drinks and <laughs> 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 smokes probably, uh, but yeah, she she's she's a tuber because yeah, she's a good one, but yeah, it's the same type thing. And even talking to my aunt, being in Dallas, asking her a little bit. Somebody asked her, it was on another podcast, they wanted to know about uh, um, Kennedy's uh, conspiracy of things that have happened. Well, I talked mm. to my aunt and her, well, ex-father-in-law worked for, well, my cousin's third generation, AT&T, because it was Southwestern Bell at the time. You know, I find out information from that story and i find out her friend who she went to high school with her dad owned the book you know warehouse depository right. and it wasn't seen as a crime scene so she was in the where supposedly he was shot you know was shot the next day and i'm like i gotta get these stories I'm like, oh my god <laughs> before they're gone yeah but yeah definitely yeah, before they're gone my uncle well we knew who was you know made the phone call to the herald or whatever and is on the you know picture and talked on the zapruder files so you know he was on the grassy knoll so i mean i have all these pieces and i'm like what am i doing you know but it's yeah, still you a gotta, conspiracy gotta grab them so. gotta grab them before they're gone there's once they're gone <laughs> you, you can knock on the knock on the the color you know, the the mausoleum door but no, nobody will answer or at least you hope nobody will answer right yeah. <laughs> yeah and back to you know seeing things my mother will even negate or say well maybe it was this um uh that sorry i don't know why this is connected in two things um sorry phone call right. uh that uh 
technology. That's where you want to go analog to digital. We, <laughs> we can cut this. See, I say the magic is we can cut that out. Yeah, we can cut that out. Talk <laughs> uh, um, uh, about your mother, your mother and seeing things. Oh, seeing things was that it was all dark. And I said, well, I could see that that I was the only one in this, you know, it was just all things, but I was in the bed and there was a sister. and she goes, well, maybe that was when they were moving you. And then I was like, well, and then in one place I was in a subway and I don't understand why I was in a subway. And, there, and my psychiatrist was like, well, maybe that was when they were, you know, moving the curtain around and, you know, they're trying to make, ideas of what the nde was but you still you're like well was it or wasn't it or wasn't you it? know who yes, knows the, what it was, the you scientific know? approach tries to uh logically say what that was while your yes your inner soul and your heart kind of say well i don't think mm -hmm. it was that i I, mm -hmm. yeah, I understand that um, and even before <laughs> i was going to church regularly which was just like i said to keep my schedule and actually well, this doesn't look nice, but I wore this to church today, but dress nicer and, you know, feel better about your body right. instead of just wearing pajamas because of COVID. Everybody was wearing, you know, t-shirts and pajamas all day. Uh, I would go to church and kind of just meditate or the power of, you know, some sort of prayer, be it say meditation or whatnot. And I would, and even still, I look up at the ceiling of the basilica or at the stained glass versus um, looking down. So it's a difference of things. And I've even spoken to our bishop, who is very good about things like that. And it's been an interesting conversation we've had about um, my experience and other things. Because of that right now and dealing with, probably uh, another surgery I may have to have. He says, you sound like you're lost. And my counselor said, that's an interesting word because it may be lost, may be the synonym for you. I see you as sad. And so is it, but then I talked to these blues women and they've been through a lot too and they're able to find happiness. So, yeah, it's kind of like, and, okay, you know, you got to just push through. And you're talking about the Blues Divas. Mm-hmm. The Blues Divas. Blues. Well, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Blues Divas is a podcast that you, got, that you have that uh, mm -hmm. you had these kind of conversations with, uh, with these women and, and others, correct? Um, music enthusiasts for, that yeah. love the blues. Tell me about it, please. Mm -hmm. Um. I'll talk about Donna Harla. She is amazing and so much, well, helping me. First of all, I was writing for an English magazine and I thought I was going to write about Buddy Guy. And then all of a sudden it just got tabled as a contractor. It's kind of like online dating. You don't hear back forever. And then all of a sudden I get an email and said, hey, how's that? interview going and I was working for free anyway I wanted a press pass that's all I wanted 
And then I only had a couple weeks before Christmas that my deadline was there. I call what said contact for press and she picked up the phone and luckily she lived in the Chicago area and was a town away from me. <laughs> and so we've had a nice connection and she's been very kind and very good. Also amazing. She never thought as well, like a lot of these women, you know, what's going to happen. Surprise, surprise. Australia has a blue, huge blues love and her CD went crazy. It exploded on the Australian uh, circuit. So she's wondering when she'll go to Australia, but yes, she's, and she teaches as well. So I mean, there's cool. things that are going, yeah. And in that part, in this podcast in itself, it's got a variety of conversations. You're in your third season. Is that correct? Uh, we're just on my first, second season, or excuse me, first, actually, Blues Diva. Uh, I'm trying to, traveling down the Blues Delta, where it's kind of a, it was trying to be a book, but they never thought I had enough content. So it was just going to be, you'd hear and talk, listen to people, um, Yes. Uh, yeah, you just listen while you were traveling down and I'm trying to start doing the second season. It was partly, I, bluesmen don't want to play or talk to you except for money. So that's another problem. But it was also, I wanted you to be able to connect with people while you were driving and say, hey, or walk into that restaurant or do something else and say, hey, I know that person. And Mississippi is a lot like that. People don't realize that. Uh, for the whole state, it's almost a small town. You can really connect with people. A lot of people don't think that. You know, there still is a misconception and there is some problems. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, a lot of people will negate when I say that and I'll say, yeah, okay. But for me and a lot of people, if you have the right personality and you're willing to connect with whomever, you're going to make that connection and you'll be able to see that person the next day. If you went to a blues club and go to breakfast or be at coffee and say, Hey, I saw you last night. How's it going? And so the podcast is really about that. Traveling Down the Blues Highway, that podcast was about that. It was a travel, basically an audio travel book that didn't have enough pages. So Blues Divas is about just, just women at all. Uh, when I was traveling to Texas and drove uh, from Georgia to Texas at one point to see my doctors, because... My specialist, you know, I can't lose him, is in Austin for epilepsy. He's one, probably one of the top in the state, if not uh, the U.S. Uh, I drove to see him at that point. I uh, stopped by in, you know, Clarksdale, and this woman said, I think you have a market for uh, blues women women and blues 
Um, so I decided, okay, I'll just do a podcast about women in blues. And um, the marketing has been hard, really isn't there yet. But I'm just, again, like these women, pushing and you know, moving on and seeing, right. uh, excuse me, where it'll go and uh, let these women be heard. So we've got a lot of women that there was just a uh, women in uh, blues uh, festival right. and hopefully things will get heard more and more and more and see what happens. Well, how, how can somebody find your podcast and your website in the, uh, cause I know that I've listened to several episodes that you've got on your website. How can they find you? Uh, I'm an audio chick without the K. So dot net, or that's my handle, Audio Chick on Instagram, and Audio Chick on Twitter. And your website obviously will have links to the podcast as well, including mm -hmm. um, the which uh, uh, the which you have on yeah. there, season one and season two of Water, the travels with the Delta. Outstanding. And I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so that everybody yeah. has mm -hmm. an opportunity to connect to them and, um, you know, make it easy for them to reach out to you and you know, yeah. take a listen to, as well. I appreciate what you're doing with, at least with, with music and with, uh, moving that forward and helping you know, people recognize the importance of blues and women in blues. So, yeah, from that perspective, you know, thank you. You know, I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. We got to wrap up. So sure. this is, Thank you very much for coming on the show, by the way. I really appreciate sharing your journey with me and with the audience. I think that you should have shown the ability to to overcome and to move forward and go after your passion in spite of obstacles that are placed in their way. So so from, from me to you, thank you very much for taking those steps to, in order to do that. Um, this is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you, do you have any words of wisdom or something, anything really you know unique you want to talk to our audience to, to share um i always say even if you're atheist buddhist whatever the power of energy is very important the power of community is very important especially post covid and we need to get over COVID. So also letting go of anger is very important. And I think music, like you said, brings us together. There are other ways to bring us together, but definitely music. Profound. Music is a universal language. Mm -hmm. It is, it is. So... Aaron, thank you very much again for coming on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. And uh, I look forward to maybe another conversation down the road as things progress with you so we can give everybody an update. Yes. Outstanding. And everybody out there watching and listening, uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe. And one more thing before I go, have a great day, have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.